conversation about Judaism and board games on today's episode of Board Game Faith with special guest Alex Radcliffe. But before we begin, we like to start Board Game Faith each episode with a kind of game. It is a episode, a podcast about games and faith after all. And so today we are grateful for uh, both Kevin and Alex, who are going to be uh, uh, participating uh, along with me in a game that Kevin has um, envisioned for us, a game about traveling and quirks. First of all, though, I feel like I just because I'm so excited and I know you, you are too, Kevin, to have Alex on the episode. Hi, Alex. We're really glad to have you here. How's it going? How's how's your morning going so far? It's going OK here. I'm I'm in Missouri and uh, right now the temperatures are pretty good, though we expect it to get hot as is as is par for the course here later on today. How, how about y'all? Doing fine on my end. Uh, in Cleveland, we're starting to hit that drift towards a little bit outside the complete hotness of summer mm-hmm. and a little bit before we get into the annoying frustration of winter. So <laughs> right about now, everything's going great for like a period of but maybe a day awesome. and a half. North Carolina is, is similarly just a few days ago, the humidity just started to dissipate and it feels like fall. So mm. it may snap back to warm, but right now it's in the 80s and it's pleasant. So I'm nice. excited. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we drink in that, that sweet, sweet day and a half of pleasantness between <laughs> the summer and the winter. Yeah. Well, cool. So, Kevin, what is this Daniel, game that you've envisioned in, for us this, today? Let's call this Poor Man's Family Feud. Okay. And by that, I mean, we're just going to come up with odd quirks that we know of in traveling. And then we'll just vote on which ones are favorite. And that okay. will be what's on the board. How about that? For example, my mother is convinced in a hotel room that any actual glass provided in the room made of glass has probably not been washed. Because her theory is any of the staff people, well, that's a lot of work to take the glasses out and get them washed. They just rinse them out and set them back out. So she refuses to use any of that she wants to see paper cups. Okay, so that is okay. her quirk. Okay. Um, I, I, guess, I guess I just drink out of anything. So it's never occurred to me <laughs> that someone would falsify the glass. How about you, Daniel? Well, I, um, I guess my quirk that came to mind is a little bit more, more, uh, more, more dealing with my, my oddities and my own personal um, weirdnesses, though I suspect it may not be unique to me among our listeners. And that is, you know, I like to, uh, I like to travel with, um, with games, right. Um, and I, I think a lot of, um, um, board gamers do. Um, and when we're traveling by car, that's not too bad, right? Because we actually have a little, we actually have a little stowage space in the back of our vehicle and we, and they're just, it's just perfect for like a good, you know, um, how many, a, a ticket to ride size game to go in there. Oh, just one. Uh, no, I mean, a few more than, than one, though it might include the game, just one, but it's got some, some other options too. Um, but it's more tricky when we, when I go on, on fly, when I go on an airline. Right. And so, um, we are talking about flying before going on, on the air here. And, uh, and, you know, so I like to, uh, because I don't want anything to happen to them. I like to put all the games in, in my travel, my, my carry on. Right. And, and I like to keep them small cause you can't 
carry on too much. And so it's usually the little micro games, the pocket games, the things, you know, that have some, a few dice in a small box. Hmm. And I don't know about others experience, but I have found that those always get the attention of the TSA uh, agents um, that um, while we're going through the lines of the metal detectors and everything um, and everyone else is filing through, I inevitably end up uh, standing there next to a very nice TSA agent who's like examining every every die and every wooden meeple really? in my in my in my carry on. Interesting. Um, so anyway, that's been I, I have found that to be a a, a quirky part of travel since mm. um, since getting into this. Oh. I know Alex is traveling a lot these days. What are your thoughts, Alex? What's your so for me, the closest thing I have is, and similar to almost that security aspect that your mother has, but like a, a, a weirdly justified security that most of us don't think about is I have one friend who never signs in to any Wi-Fi's when he travels. Mm. He refused to sign into any Wi-Fi. He's like, nope, it's just, really? I'm just not going to. It's too much of a public network. I don't know what this or that. So when he travels, he uses Wi-Fi at home and he uses uh, LTE or whatever when he travels and refuses to ever sign in. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And I don't even think about that. I guess... Is there a possibility of our data being breached? In theory, in theory. But I mean, honestly, he, probably should, he should probably just get a VPN. That would change the conversation <laughs> at that yeah. point. But it, it, there is that hypothetical possibility of signing into a Wi-Fi at Starbucks or this or that where somebody can actually get onto your network. It is it is an extra level of security removed. Is it easy? Is it common? Is it likely? No. Can it happen? Absolutely. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. I, I wouldn't log into my bank or something if I was on a different Wi-Fi. But right, in that right. situation, you yeah, could probably yeah, use your phone over LTE. It's that kind of it's that kind of mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Huh. Huh. I know I personally I have this thing I hate to leave the soaps behind in the hotel. So I will use the plastic bag for the ice that they provide for that. I take that and then I put the used soaps in there. Just, <laughs> it, it, It's just a kind of a wastefulness. Like they're just going to throw this away and this is good soap or, or like maybe that. it's not. So I always take it home and then you have to peel it out of the bag. But yeah. And then, but then you've got like really good hotel smelling soap. I guess. At yes. home. But then you it's might like... have two or three stacked and then it's making mega, <laughs> mega bar. You're mixing the sense then of high in and, and I don't know. Yeah. Hilton or whatever. Yeah. Hilton. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. I, I've heard that there's some places doing shampoo inside the soap almost like the what? whole thing is degradable. Like, like there's, there's like, there's like a, there's like a, a creamy center of shampoo inside, I the, think, inside I think the soap. Or, okay. <laughs> ah, interesting. Hmm. Mm. So mm. first you have to kind of lather up to get to the shampoo. Potentially. Like a Cadbury yeah. egg of, of soap. Something, that's what I guessed, but yeah, uncertain. <laughs> but but uncertain. not as, as tasty. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about leaving in flights and stuff? Are you guys insanely leaving early or how, how do you deal with the stress of airports? I, I usually aim for that two-hour window. It's what they recommend. And the problem is I've missed one flight in my life, but that was the one flight that I you know, sat there and said, no, 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 an hour's enough. And that was the one day that an hour was not mm. enough. I pulled up my flight as it was literally like taxing away. They just pulled away the thingy. They refused to extend oh. it. And that was enough for me to say, you know what? I will always aim for two hours. Sometimes I hit that hour and a half, but I try aiming for the two hours. The trauma of that one time is enough for me to not want to risk yeah. it. Yeah. 
And you, you were, you were saying Alex that, yeah, I mean, your involvement in the board game community really has, has, um, uh, increased how much traveling you're doing in your life, right? That this is this, you're doing a lot of traveling for, for games and, and events and, it's Absolutely. Between between traveling for my new job at GameFound uh, to Poland, between traveling to conventions, both uh, domestic and international, uh, between traveling to more and more friends in the content creation space, uh, um, I've gone from someone who traveled. I mean, I, excuse me, I travel with my family like every two months, but I've in addition to that now, I've added like probably once a month extra trip of board game related uh, excursions. That's cool. Great. Wow. Interesting. Well. It sounds like I, I might have mastered the quirks unless anyone else has a submission. I, I don't know. I like, I don't know. I mean, Alex, Alex's was third party there, so I don't even know if we can accept it as a submission. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, yeah, I kind of like your soap in a, I mean, Alex's was good too, but I like your soap in, in a, in a, in a uh, ice bag, baggy, and it's, it's environmentally conscious too. You're, you're, you're recycling and. I guess, Pretty good. I guess, I guess I'm saving $3 <laughs> a year on soap. It's amazing. Listen, it adds up. It all adds yeah. up quickly. It's another board yeah, game. Right. <laughs> well, after 12 years. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'd, I'd buy it. All right. All right. All right. I introduce more formally who we are and why we're here? Yes. All right. Okay. Um, well, uh, um, we are very grateful to um, our special guest today. Um, uh, many of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with him already, Alex Radcliffe. Uh, Alex is the host of the, the very popular Board Game Co. Uh, YouTube channel uh, filled with um, a lot of wonderful content on board game, um, reviews and, and thoughts and, and lists. And I know I've, I've been in, enjoying his videos very much. Um, he also started his own, um, board game co company, uh, for buying and selling games. And he is now the chief marketing officer at GameFound, uh, a relatively uh, recent development. And, um, and Alex, we are so um, grateful that you're here. Alex is also um, a member of the Orthodox Jewish uh, uh, faith, um, as we said, from Cleveland, Ohio as well. And so really just a fantastic uh, person all around and, and a great guest to join us on this conversation about Judaism and board games. So um, Alex, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate the appreciate you having me on. This is awesome. This is awesome. And my name is uh, Daniel, and I am joined by, as Kevin always. Taylor. Yes. Yep. And we are curious, Alex, to, uh, if you want to talk about how uh, you see board games intersecting with Jewish religious life or family life. Sure. So at a baseline level, I mean, obviously I grew up religious. I, I have a whole background in just, I guess, being religious in that lifestyle. And one of the things I've always said on a personal level is I really appreciate the wholesomeness of the board game hobby. I appreciate how it is a good pastime that is very family driven and very, very, very focused. It's, it's a family pastime in so many different ways that I think it intersects nicely when you're comparing different options as far as as different hobbies out there. There's many other hobbies I'd recommend as well. You know, sports is obviously a great one as well. Uh, but I find board games and sports are the two combinations that I find uh, satisfy the 
the mental and the physical very nicely in terms of in terms of well in terms of being a hobby that is very family oriented community oriented and helps bring people together speaking of family yeah i've 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 enjoyed um you, you make videos with with nina and um yeah rena 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 i'm sorry uh, and yeah rena and um and th- those are are um are a delight to get to watch as well and yeah yeah how is it making making videos with family too um, I enjoy it. Uh, that's another aspect of where I'm happy about how the the board game hobby is very has has been another opportunity for me to interact with my family even in more ways. I've managed to bring just the the content side of what I do even closer and to give me opportunity to spend time with my yeah, family. Yeah. And how many children do you have? I mm-hmm. have four. So is it tricky to decide games and people have different? Do do you take turns picking one out or how do you? deal with that issue generally i have different children who have more and less of a pressure or not pressure desire to play games at any given point uh, it's usually not that hard for me to just go with whatever they happen to want to play when they want to play okay. it so you're not tempted to play the new game you want to play because i fall into that trap oh, no, of no, I'm, I'm... sort of yeah <laughs> I'm always tempted. Uh, that's not the question at all. Uh, I usually give them offers, and they also are very much cult of the new, but they also like older uh-huh. games. And there's always my game group that I can force cult of the uh-huh. new on. <laughs> cult of the new. May I ask the age of, of your children? Sure. I have a – I should get this right probably at some point. <laughs> I have a 3-year-old. I have a – I want to say a 7-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Great. Great. It's. I have three boys, and – it is hard as they progress through the same numbers. The numbers start to blur, so I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I can remember the oldest one because he's the first one to that age, but the others, they're repeating numbers that someone else has been through. Right. So it always um, nine. Nine was already taken. Right? Exactly, exactly. I, yeah, That's yeah. about all my mind can do. Do uh, board games function within your temple or religious life, like in terms of social... Uh, not in any strong sense. We've occasionally run, I, I think my synagogue once upon a time occasionally ran uh, some, what's it called, occasionally ran a, a board game night here and there, but it was something that it was infrequent. I wasn't heavily involved with it. I, I've occasionally, I guess one time I believe I actually sat down and played uh, board games with my rabbi, but like that's a very infrequent uh, thing that has been an occasional, more of a social opportunity mm-hmm. and something that I enjoy as opposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. One thing we, we've talked about here in previous episodes is, um, um, you know, when when we, like, I'll play games, have a game group or whatever um, that I'll promote in my in my church, and um, or um, on a previous episode, um, uh, Ali Karar, we're talking about Islam and board games, and he was talking about you know bringing games to um, um, uh, Islamic center in his community. And and some of the reactions sometimes from from other folks in our religious communities who kind of kind of look askew a little bit or think that it's kind of odd and and feel like you almost kind of have to to come up with an apologetic or or, or a reason for why we're doing this or, or do you um, as that something you've encountered in, in in your in your circles as well or. Oh, not in the slightest, no. I mean, again, I think board games are generally well-received enough within the Jewish community that they're an often welcome hobby. Uh, There might be a different conversation if they came down sometime and saw the amount of, like, you know, 3D plastic dragons I had. That might be a different conversation. But, like, even then, it's not really... 
I don't know if there's any real issue in terms of the topic or hobby that is board games. We live in a culture that embraces video games left, right, and yeah. center. The idea of people taking something else and, and putting it down at the table is, I think, a more acceptable conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any I – mean, even when you might wish for a better topic or a hobby that might be more family-friendly, for example, if you're playing Cards Against Humanity, that might not be the best, most religiously focused game. Right. At the same time, when the options on the table nowadays are what they are, even that is often seen as a step up compared to what people could or do do. Like, you know, you could be watching House of the Dragons or you could be playing Cards Against Humanity. Right. Uh, which one's going to be more of a subject of taboo top conversation? So I would say it's never been something I've felt I have to justify. It's never been something I felt I had to explain. It's always been something I encouraged as a very good hobby for those who are looking for something wholesome and family-friendly and community-oriented. Yeah, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Had, had, have witches and Harry Potter been a sort of controversy within Jewish circles like Christians sometimes got obsessed with satanic panic? Absolutely, a, absolutely, but not in a way that – not in the community I'm in. There's always – in every religion, there's always going to be different sects of just how – just how I don't even want to use the word seriously, but how you view mm-hmm. any number of different mm-hmm. topics. Every sect will have their own preferences, their own things. I remember when Harry Potter came out, there was a big conversation at one point about, hey, this is you know, uh, you know, it's a it's a witch theme. You shouldn't read it. There are definitely some sects of Judaism that were uh, against it. I would say that. Orthodox Judaism as a general whole already, already falls in the category of we try following all the laws. Uh, there's no revision to the laws. We're trying to follow all the laws as written. Uh, but even within that, there's interpretation and strictness. And so I would say within – even within the most hardcore sects of Judaism, you still have to lean towards the most hardcore hardcore before something like that starts to become something that's taboo. And so, yes, there's theories. I mean like the way I often put it with board games is – the amount of board games that rely on gods as their arbiter of choice, you know, Greek gods, Egyptian gods, mythological gods, a whole lot of gods in many, 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 many yeah. board games. And that's something that theoretically some people would have a problem with. Most people in my circles don't, but there are those who might, and I respect those people. I remember when games like uh, Massive Darkness came out from Kaman, I had a lot of religious people reaching out to me as someone who's reli- uh, openly religious in the board game space, asking if I'm bothered by the fact that these angels are being presented as, you know, these terrible beings to destroy and kill. And I was like, I'm just not emotionally attached to this cartoon version of an angel that doesn't reflect my faith. Uh, so I just don't really care. I mean, if you're bothered by it, I understand that. It's just not something that I don't put stock in what's being presented here. So to me, this is no different than any other uh, character or fictional aspect. It's just something that exists and doesn't mm-hmm, bother me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- does Orthodox Judaism have a take on angels? Does it? Is that a part of... Oh, absolutely. I mean, we believe in all the typical angels you'd expect in any Christian sect. You know, uh, Gabriel, Raphael, all those are angels that do exist. Because growing up as Methodists, we just never talked about it. Like, I really did not grow up with the concept. Um, And so I did some reading recently, and I guess I did not realize how that evolves and and plays out in certain faiths. So interesting. Yeah, I think I think um, I think in a lot of Christian traditions, we just kind of we, we roll out the angels at Christmas time, and that's a right. That's often about it, and don't really give much more thought about it. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, they don't come up in typical conversation in Judaism. They just they they, they do exist. The concept of God and angels both yeah. exist. Mm-hmm. I was, and I, I have to say, I haven't played Mass of Darkness. I'm not I'm not very familiar with it, but that's interesting. So the, this idea that, that there's a angels are presented almost in a very sounds like kind of a destructive way, sort of a, a yeah, interesting. They're the yeah. bad guys. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
I believe. I'm pretty sure. I haven't actually played Mass of Darkness. I've only played the first mission, but I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly from the campaign, angels are very much a uh, part of the destructive forces. Okay. Okay. Interesting. What about playing board games on the Sabbath and uh, Shabbat? How does that play out? <laughs> so that's where you're going to get into a whole bunch of technical areas. And it's worth noting as a disclaimer to anyone listening, please do not take anything I do or say as your own uh, – uh, what you should do, I would say there's a general concept, there's a general phrase in Judaism, ask your LOR, ask your local Orthodox rabbi. The general idea being that there are going to be different interpretations, different rules, even within different sects of Judaism, and you should follow what your rabbi personally tells you. So never take anything I say here or do as your um, go-to. That said, as far as playing games on the Sabbath, the first baseline problem you're going to run into is the idea that, strictly speaking, the Sabbath is supposed to be for more spiritual activities. So the ideal would be more learning, more community, more praying, things like that. Once you're not doing something like that, then there's a whole baseline of what type of activities are more or less encouraged. So playing games on the Sabbath, if you asked your rabbi, would probably not be fall into the category of encouraged, but you could certainly ask, well, what are the rules of what I'm allowed to do? Like, may not be encouraged, but what's the thing I'm allowed to do? And that's where you'll start getting into technical aspects of any any number of different potential problems. One of the most baseline aspects is we can't use electronics on uh, on the Sabbath. So we could benefit from them, so we could have the lights on, but we can't turn the lights on. But that means any app-related game is going to be off the table. Uh, we can't use writing utensils. So anything that requires a, you know, writing down your score, you won't be able to write down your score. But then you'll also get into interesting tangents. And those those things I both follow. I don't write. I don't, uh, you know, use electricity. Um, but one of the things that you'll start getting down the rabbit hole of things that may or may not be okay, depending on who you ask, is one example is there are people who take the stance any game in which you normally would tally up your score with a pencil, you can't do it on Saturday even if you wouldn't use a pencil, even if you're going to do it in your head, because it's something that normally you would use a pencil, you shouldn't do it on the mm. Sabbath. I don't go with that, but there are some that do. Uh, using sand timers is a concept of measuring on the Sabbath. And so you're not supposed to measure like for ingredients for baking, things like that, and that some people use that for sand timers as well. I don't. Again, ask your local rabbi, ask whoever you follow, but there are going to be different rules and different restrictions and stringencies depending on what sect of Judaism you're within as far as the things you can and cannot do within board games on on the Sabbath. Hmm. You know what this reminds me of, and I don't know if this is a fair comparison or not, but Amish Mennonite communities, like it depends on the community. So it's very community oriented and within what the community has worked out as what is legitimate or illegitimate, which is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely it's it's interesting within Judaism because there's there's two different main concepts there's 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 general sects which are going to be you're going to have things like conservative orthodox reform and that's usually a larger baseline as to how you follow the rules as written once you go within orthodox uh, Judaism you're automatically subscribing to the idea that all the rules are meant to be followed but there are different sometimes there's different interpretations and other times there's different stringencies so very often there'll be the category of you could do this but you shouldn't do this or you could do this but you know that's that one's more lenient that's one's less lenient so there's often this concepts of stringencies around the degrees of what you should follow and that's usually where there's more room for interpretation do you feel comfortable talking about kind of the underlying theology of of sabbath like what's like what is the what is the the underlying reason for you know for observing sabbath in this in this way is that is is that um is that something you feel comfortable sharing a little bit or talking about? Sure, absolutely. To whatever degree I, I know, meaning I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert in many, many ways, but I would say that uh, the Sabbath is often referred to as a day of rest. And the baseline origins for this is the idea that during the seven days of creation, uh, that God rested on the seventh day. 
that that uh, you know went through the whole creating this and creating the earth and the land and the seas and the animals and all this stuff and on the seventh day God rested so the Sabbath is supposed to be a mimicking a, that day of rest that God went through and then from a spiritual sense it's supposed to be a day of being closer to God of the distractions of the world being cut out and many aspects of work being removed from the table and work is not necessarily what people interpret work as but there's a whole listing of the the 39 malachot the 39 rules of of the sources of things you don't do mm-hmm. and then all those 39 extrapolate further down into the interpretation so again using example when you don't measure has you know 15 or different or more different ways of how measuring can be applied to something uh versus other things that could be fine so there's there's a whole listing of what you're allowed to and not allowed to do but the idea is this day of rest to bring you closer to god yeah yeah um that's so fascinating do you, if if you don't mind i'm i'm is reminding me of a conversation I had actually just yesterday. Um, uh, uh, yesterday I was, I was involved in a, um, in a class um, that was being put on for people, new pastors in, in our, in our, in our Christian um, tradition. And, um, and I was, I was talking, we were talking about play and work and the difference between play and work. And, and, and that conversation really, um, went in directions I, I wasn't expecting. Um, it, it, one of the themes that the participants in the class are just, just really insightful um, brought up was this idea that, that kind of the, the muddiness of trying to figure out what's play, what's work, you know, what makes something work, what makes something play. And, and they really uh, talked a lot about kind of like inner you know, outer, outer uh, signs or out, outer manifestations, but also kind of inner attitudes. And, um, and I wonder if that brings up anything for you, Alex, and, and you too, Kevin, just any, any thoughts on like, what, uh, what makes something work? You know, what, what, de- what defines something as work? I wonder, and versus play or rest or things like that. So in the case of Judaism, the, the, that's going to be strictly defined by, again, these Ternay Malachot as far as these specific things that mm-hmm. often relate. Uh, they go way back to actually the temple and the desert of the very okay. various things that were done in the temple. Okay. And so there is a strict categorization, but it's not necessarily how we would interpret it. It does include things like you can't go work to make money, uh, but it doesn't necessarily include like you can sit there and pick up a heavy piece of furniture and strenuously move it if you need to. Mm-hmm. There's rules around things you can and can't do. So for instance, you, and these are all very abstract concepts that relate to different things, yeah. but you can't drag a heavy piece of furniture across the dirt in a way that might cause furrows in the dirt similar to plowing, uh, because that orients to the original destination. But so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why there's these weird categories. It's not necessarily about strenuous labor. Right. There's specific subcategories, yeah. um, but it's not so much about our own interpretation. It's just about how they relate to the original 39. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. You, so you could exercise on the Sabbath, right? That's complicated. Really? Okay. I was, I was thinking <laughs> uh, about the strenuous. Ex- yeah. Yeah, so it's not that you can engage in strenuous activity. I'd have to double-check an exercise. I'm pretty sure you can't exercise, okay. but I'm not 100% certain of that. But there's a difference between strenuous activity versus straight-out exercising. Like and a good example of that is you're allowed to step on snow, but you're not allowed to step on snow for the purpose of creating the imprint. I mean, if you want to put your foot down on snow to create an imprint, intentionally, if that's your goal, if your goal is I want to make a shape in snow, you're actually not allowed to do that. But if you're just walking and happen to be making shapes in snow, that's totally allowed. That's so interesting. Sometimes intent does factor into what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, and back to board games. So do you play board games on the Sabbath? It sounded like there is some... 
Space. Oh, absolutely, I do. Okay. Yeah, and this goes in the category of, again, going back to the way I said Sabbath is often meant to be an opportunity for being, being yourself closer to God. That's where it gets tricky because playing board games isn't being yourself closer to God. So it's not, it doesn't fall into the intent of what the Sabbath is, but it does fall into the fact that it doesn't violate most of the things that you're allowed to or not allowed to do. Mm. So that's where it goes to the fact that if you're speaking to your local rabbi, he will tell you, oh, well, maybe ideally you should be doing this. But as far as if you want the questions, as far as what you can and can't, those I can certainly give you the answers to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So there's always better, best answers often. Like yes, you can do always. this, but you might. Right. Interesting. A hundred percent. Huh. Is, is there a accompanying, um, I, I've, I've talked a little bit before about some of the traditions that I come out of and, and, um, I think it's probably true for a lot of religious folks. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, unspoken messages of kind of guilt and shame about various things, you know, and, and uh, at least, at least for, for a lot of folks, um, in traditions I'm connected with, is there kind of a, a sense of that as well? Like, well, you know, it's, it, it, it's okay for you to do this, but there, is there kind of like this unspoken sense of like, you should, you should kind of feel guilty about this or, or some kind of shame about that or, or anything, or, or, or is that not really a factor into, into the equation? So it depends on the conversation. Yeah. I, would, I would argue that in, the, in theory, anyone leading a religious lifestyle with religious goals, and this truthfully this applies to whether it's religious or not, but if you have goals and you're not seeking to pursue those goals, then some form of guilt or shame is arguably a good thing because it motivates you to pursue those goals. Mm -hmm. If I'm sitting here being religious and believing certain religious tenets, and if that religious tenet includes that I should become closer to God on the Sabbath, then there should ideally be a degree of guilt or shame around, well, I'm not spending my time as optimally as I could. Mm -hmm. Do I actually have that guilt or shame? I don't. And, and I think it's going to depend community by community how people interpret that mm -hmm. uh, or as far as how, what degree of pressure there is. Um, but I, I, I think – I don't know if guilt – I don't like the idea of guilt or shame even as a concept but necessarily. But the truth is like sometimes thinking that you're doing something wrong is not necessarily a bad concept. Mm -hmm. This could apply to a religious concept. So there's just as much as it is to the idea that you might spend the entire day playing Grand Theft Auto as opposed to actually working on a skill or talent or pursuing something in, in, in a work-related aspect. So should you feel guilt or shame for playing Grand Theft Auto when you could have been furthering your career and your goals in life? I, I mean, arguably, I don't like the term guilt and shame, but if you if that's the thing that seeks you to better yourself, I'm not against them as concepts. Mm -hmm. So I guess as a summation of all that, I don't personally feel guilt or shame. Depending on the community you're in, guilt and shame are more and less tenants in, in, that will exist. But I'm okay with the concepts if they help yourself be the better you that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. And at a certain point, it's always going to be unhealthy, but a little dose now and then is probably a good motivator to get off yep. the couch, et cetera. Um, interesting. Yep. Huh. Why do you think, uh, or why is it said that God rested on the Sabbath? Was that because God doesn't need to rest, right? Or so is that to model something for us or? Uh, generally, so so this I don't necessarily have an exact answer to this one. What I will say is, in Judaism, most things we talk about are the idea that anything should be an analogy. Meaning, uh, mm -hmm. there's many concepts within Judaism that are analogy based. That you know, they'll say God does something. You know, God has an outstretched arm. God doesn't have arms. What's the concept there? Mm -hmm. So very often, whenever something's referred to in a way that doesn't actually mimic the idea of a deity, it's used to give us some sort of analogy. As far as the direct answer as to why. God rested. I don't have that direct one as far as, I don't have the direct answer at the moment as far as what the reason for that analogy was, but obviously God does not need to rest. In, in the theoretical concept of what you perceive a deity to be, he shouldn't need to rest, so it has to be analogy-based. Mm -hmm. Unless it's, did you see Thor, God, and Thunder? 
or Love and Thunder? I did not yet. The Love and Thunder, I did not yet. Yeah, but no. Z- I think I'm Zeus, sure Zeus, Zeus in that movie would need to rest. He's <laughs> past his prime. <laughs> yeah. Does Zeus show up in that? I haven't seen that either. Does Zeus yeah, show there's up a bit. And the trailer. Zeus shows up, Yeah, yes. and it's played by the guy, uh, Russell Crowe, that was at Gladiator. So it's doubly funny because he's kind of dressed like that again. So we have like, do we have like, like Greek gods and, and, uh, there's a bit where they're in a pantheon of all the gods. Yeah. Whoa. But it's pretty humorous. I enjoyed the humor. I I need to see that. It's on Disney now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Disney plus whatever. Wow. I'm, I'm going back to Sabbath and just thinking about this one day where I guess that one day is so totally different from the rest of the week. Right. No, uh, that's, that's an experience I've never had. Yeah, it's very. I mean, I love it as a. This is where it's very tricky though, because like part of the reason I love it are because of the, some of the reasons I'm not necessarily engaging in the ideal, which is I love this. Uh, I, I love this separation of work. I love the fact that I'm a workaholic. I'm always trying to reply to that next email. Always trying to close out that last thing, and I'm happy that my work workaholicness has translated into board games. So now it's like I'm always trying to play one more game and film one more video, things that I enjoy more. But it is nice to be able to enter sundown Friday night, and just be like. It's all it's all done. There is no one more thing to do. There is no I can just get this one more thing done. It's everything shuts off and you just have to step back. Mm. And I think that's so mentally amazing and something I'm incredibly grateful for and would never would never want to change. It's just incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Are there converts that come in and that's really a bit of a culture shock trying to adapt to that, I would think? Um, I think that the way Judaism approaches converts in general Mm -hmm. is that, first of all, the starting baseline, Judaism doesn't seek converts. If anything, we actually try turning them away. We try encouraging them that this is a hard religion to take on and it's not necessarily for you and why the reasons that you want to be here. Uh, We don't proselytize. We encourage encourage you to consider what it is you're seeking and why. And then once you do, it is a very lengthy process. It's a process of living the the Jewish lifestyle for years, uh, genuinely years, like, you know, minimum a year, usually two to three years as far as leading the lifestyle before you actually convert because of the fact that it is a culture shock. There is a lot Mm -hmm. you're taking on. It might sound great in, in, in theory, but I guess the way you'd put it is there's, from a Jewish stance, there's the idea of being a religious Jew is a great thing. But if you're going to be a non-religious Jew, better to be a uh, the, the the way Jews phrase, Jews phrase it, it's better to be a righteous Gentile than a non-religious Jew. Hmm. Uh, if you're going to take everything on, then abandon it. You may as well have not taken it on. Uh, think of it as taking a promotion. Uh, the way we look at it is if you're taking a promotion at work, it is, it's good to be promoted at work. But it's better to be doing good at your current job than to be promoted to a new job that you're going to fail at. That's the way I right, give an analogy right. for it. Interesting. Oh, my goodness. So you do not feel like board games have a role in your spiritual life. Is that a fear? I don't feel that board games in and of themselves have a role in my spiritual life. I do believe that entertainment and relaxation and pastimes are concepts that are good to have. And I believe that to that end, board games are a good entertainment or pastime for uh, an, an Orthodox Jew to have. There's actually a concept, I have to remember the exact title, I can't remember the name in Hebrew, but the the word for a there's, a there's an analogy given where it's a, a inventor is inventing a machine and he invents this incredibly cool machine and this person says hey what do you what is it that you're like what does the machine do i guess so the machine every time the machine breaks it knows how to fix itself like that's incredible a machine that can fix itself whenever it breaks that's a great thing that you can have but like what does it actually do well anytime it gets dirty it can clean itself okay well that, that's that's also very helpful but like what is what's the function that it serves well, when it breaks or it gets clean, it fixes or cleans itself. Or when it breaks or gets dirty, it fixes and cleans itself. 
And so this concept is like a circular concept of like, okay, great. So the machine makes sure that it's not broken and makes sure that it's always clean. But does it serve any purpose? No, it just it just keeps going. Mm. It's just doing the thing to do the thing. It's not actually it doesn't have to be a purpose. And so like, well, that inventor's an idiot. He's a brilliant idiot, but he's still an idiot. And this kind of refers to the general rat race that we all live in to a degree, which is very often we seek a continuous cycle without a reason or understanding as to why we're perpetuating the cycle. Uh, you don't work for work. You, what is the purpose you're trying to serve? What is it that you're trying to do or execute on? And the relevance to this context is the Hebrew word for board games. I can't recall exactly what the Hebrew word is, but the meaning of it is turning towards the turning towards. It's an activity that the end goal is itself. It, it, the end goal of what you're doing is the thing that you're doing. Mm. It is an activity mm. where the, the reason you play the board game is to play the board right. game. There's no other aspect. You're not doing it for this. You're playing it to play the board game. Uh, it has a purpose in what you're doing that the purpose is itself. Many other things, the purpose is something else or you're running in an endless cycle. And so it is, again, it's a weird concept in the sense that it's not necessarily viewed in and of itself as an inherently good thing, but within the concept and the category that we should have entertainment and distractions and fun times and socialize with others, once you extrapolate other good things, board games serve an excellent role in catering to those good concepts without having some of the problems you might have in other hobbies or activities nowadays. Very interesting, wow. And that sounds like some of the theory we've gotten to with the, the book The Grasshopper, which offers some definitions about games, that its purpose is itself. Yeah, that's awesome and very interesting. In, in a way, since, I mean, since, since board games have been, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, board games have kind of become your work in a way. I mean, has that, has that created some tension for you or in terms of how you relate to issues of work and and rest is is it hard to kind of um, keep those borders, um, or are there borders then? So that's it's a fascinating question. Uh, the short answer is yes. You're not supposed to work on the Saturday, and you, therefore you're not supposed to do things that are related to work. And there's going to be all these kinds of lines. Again, going back to stringencies and interpretations, you'll have different people that take different stances. There might be some who take the stance, well, since board games are my work, I should not play any board games on the Sabbath. Um, I don't go with that. What I go with is the idea that you still shouldn't do things for work. So an example would be is I can still play a board game on the Sabbath, but I won't sit down and play a game on the Sabbath that I'm specifically playing it so that I can review right, it. Right. Meaning if the gotcha. reason I'm engaging with it is work-related, I don't do it. Right. I'll play it on intention Sunday. Intention matters. But if it happens to be a game, intention matters 100%. Yeah. So if I, if I, if I want to play, I don't even know a good example here. Let's say role-play adventures. Role-play adventures is a game myself that I've played the first scenario and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thoroughly want to play it. And so I'm going to play it. Yes, I'm going to review it at some point, but the reason I'm playing it is because I enjoy it and the reason I want, I, I want to play it. Versus there are definitely games that fall in the category of games that I'm less excited to play, but I'm going to cover it because I took on a review copy and I'm going to get to it. Yeah. But yeah. If, if, if the reason I'm engaging with it is work-related, then I don't play it on the Sabbath. It's interesting how much of this relates to issues of intention, you know, and intentionality. Yes. And, and just, you know, these internal, these internal uh, motivations and factors that, you know, you, really are invisible out here, you know, but, but are matters of what's going on in our hearts and our minds and why we're doing things. It reminds me a little bit of, um, of, of, um, in, in, in our tradition, both, both, um, Kevin and I are, are in the Methodist tradition in, in the Christian, um, umbrella and, uh, and we're both, we're both clergy and yeah, I don't know how it is in there in North Carolina, Kevin, but, but in, in Missouri, you know, we, we have to go to these, these workshops about, you know, 
clergy self-care and how do you, you know, and how do you take care of yourself and things like that. And, and one of those things is, you know, in, including a spiritual life, you know, and, and, and in your own personal spiritual life, you know, outside of, outside of your work. And, uh, and, and it brings up sometimes uh, an issue that we'll talk about is, uh, you know, well, you know, are you spending time reading scripture each day? And, and sometimes the answer is, well, yes, I, I read scripture every day because, because I got to get ready for my sermon on Sunday where I'm preaching about this, you know, this, this scripture <laughs> passage. And it says, no, that's not the point. You know, it's, it's not, it's not reading scripture so that you can accomplish something work related from it. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's reading scripture just so that you can, um, dwell in it and spend time in it independent of what you do you know, for work. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it reminds me a little bit of what you're saying with board games there, Alex. Yeah. Um, yeah. That rules matter, but intention interpretation matter a lot too, because there's always a way around the rules. Potentially, if you're clever enough, you can find a way, but so, so that's, that's a tricky conversation in and of itself. I would say that because I, I don't want to get uh, in trouble for saying the wrong <laughs> things on a recorded online thing. Um, <laughs> I would say that there are many, many things in Judaism that you can and cannot do. Sometimes rules, intention, or ways around are findable, but the key word is sometimes and situationally. It's not an across the board of, sure. well, you can just get this done or that done. So it's all, it's all true to a degree. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's human. It, that's the human heart, right? So, yeah. Is there, and this might get us down a rabbit hole. We don't want to go and, and apologize. I'm kind of, I'm kind of hearing all this conversation partially through um, the conversation uh, I, I, yesterday in this class uh, that I was involved with, but um, when it comes to work, I mean, is there an overarching, what is the intention of work? You know, what, what is, um, as I was saying earlier, you know, what, what kind of makes, we were talking earlier about what makes play, play or rest, rest. I mean, what, what, what defines work then, you know, what, what's the intentionality of, of, of work? I wonder, is there an over, so do you mean work? Do you mean in terms of like the Sabbath, things like that? Or do you mean in terms of just general lifestyle and culture? Well, I guess maybe more general in culture, but in terms of like, as an example, like, of like, like your, of your work, you know, when board games are work versus board games are, are, you know, are, are entertainment or pastime when it's work, what, what is that internal, um, posture that, that makes that work for you in that, in that moment that defines that as work for you in that moment? Things you're doing for sustenance, for paying your bills, for Mm. making a living and income. Yeah. Yeah. There's transactional aspects to things, and as soon as you enter into the transactional sphere, mm-hmm. it goes into mm-hmm. different categories of things that are and aren't allowed in Sabbath. Yep. What sense. if it's something like I I can't even agree? For example, if you if you're to come up to me and you're like, oh my gosh, I have shadows over Camelot, uh, I'll sell you my copy for fifty dollars. I can't agree to that on Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's a transaction, and so money very often makes things transactional, and that has a problem. Yeah, yeah. But work can be pleasurable. It can be fun to be involved in. One hundred percent. So, but it still yeah. has the tra- if if there's any transaction you're saying that defines it as work, that you're being paid. Um, again, I want to be very mindful of not overly uh, overextending my own knowledge and what I'm yeah. knowledgeable of. Uh, but generally, generally things that are transactional or have money involved are a no-no. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that that word tra- transactional. I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. that in terms of work. You know that that was something that. Um, that this, this group yesterday talked about with a sense that, that work ultimately kind of involves this sense of you're wanting to earn or prove something about yourself to someone else, you know, in, in, in terms of, and, and, and I can see that, you know, in terms of you're, you want to prove that you're doing a good job so you can make an income or you can, you know, can do this so you can earn this anyway, but the transactionality is a good way to talk about that. I love that. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, this has been awesome, and um, poor Alex is sick with strep throat, so I think it would probably be a good... No, no, barely. Barely barely has come through. It's mostly fine. <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate your time, and I want to be mindful that you uh, need to baby yourself so that you can get better soon, so we don't want to take up too much of your, your energy here. Yeah, so, well, um, I appreciate it. Yes, yeah, we really yes. are grateful for your time with us, Alex. Thank you. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, this is awesome, and really enjoy watching your material on YouTube. And was excited about the game found. It's interesting thing about board games and YouTube is, I've never really met you, or I've never met you, but I'm like, yay, he's going to game found. Like you get excited. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it strongly. Yeah. So, it, it's a very exciting part of my life. That is again never intended. It just totally changed the conversation as far as yeah. well everything. Yeah. And game found, just in case pe- some people may not know, is a system of um how how would you describe it it's it's a way to pay for things up front it's a system so people can go on the internet pay for things up front it's almost like a csa for a farm a community uh supported agriculture so you're paying up front it's a crowdfunding platform so yeah it's a crowdfunding platform means you're basically paying up front to get something that will come down the road you're helping support a project and bring it to life it's also a pledge manager as well on the back end so meaning whether you're running your project on GameFound or on other platforms you can still use GameFound to manage your project after the crowdfunding campaign and then as well as that they also offer marketing service as well marketing services where you can utilize them again whether you are or are not using GameFound as the crowdfunding platform they have extensive marketing services to help you get a larger reach on your project and be more successful and all this is encouraging individuals and groups to be able to make board games because it's an expensive investment up front. And this is a way, I mean, this is part of why we live in a golden age of board games right now. Yeah. It's, Very much. Yeah. It's this I've type got of a, ability. I've got a few projects that I've, or, that I've backed on GameFound that I'm looking forward to coming in, uh, seeing <laughs> some, some really great, great, great products there. How can people find you, Alex? How, how can people connect with you who are interested? Uh, if you're trying to find me, you can find me any number of places. You can find me over on YouTube if you just search Board Game Co. I'm pretty sure I'll pop up somewhere. Uh, you can find me on Twitch uh, over at twitch for, twitch.tv forward slash camp underscore co-op, where I'm playing through a bunch of cooperative campaign games with Professor Meg. Um, and then I guess you can email me at either GameFound or at Board Game Co. However you want, you'll find my emails in the bottom of basically every single video I do on YouTube. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Daniel. And next next episode, we are going to discuss the some of the book "Reality Is Broken." Yeah, uh, "Reality Is Broken" by by uh, by Jane McGonigal. Our next uh, book that we're taking a look at. But as we say on on all of our book studies, you don't have to read this ahead of time. You don't have to read it at all. Just please tune in, and we and we're going to be talking about it. Um, really, a fascinating book um, that she's written. The subtitle. Um, uh, why games make us better and how they can change the world. And, uh, and uh, Kevin, you and I were talking about maybe some possibilities of the first read. I think if we could read through chapter two, please, okay. uh, for those people who want to follow along, again, you don't have to, but uh, we'll probably discuss through chapter two of um, Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal on our next episode, two weeks from, from now. Awesome. All right. Well, check and, us out on Instagram and et cetera. And yeah. YouTube. Yep. And they can, they can, they can contact us at, uh, uh, boardgamefaith at gmail.com or info at boardgamefaith.com. Okay. Goodbye friends.